This morning, we wrap up our sermon series on Jesus' high priestly prayer, and it's been amazing, has it not? This 26-verse prayer of Jesus has opened up for us the very heart of God himself. Today, Jesus opens our passage by by saying he's not just praying for those uh, 11 disciples that are with him, but for everyone who would ever believe in Jesus through their word. In other words, Jesus is praying for us. This is amazing, right? And what do you think he prays for? Of all the things that Jesus could pray for, for us, is it doctrinal excellence? Is it fastidious law-keeping? Is it champagne wishes and caviar dreams? No, he prays for unity. That we, the body of Christ, the church, that we would be one, united in truth and and, and in love and, and living out our calling to be sent ones for Christ. So let me ask you this. Is unity in the church at the forefront of your mind? Chances are it probably isn't, but it is on Jesus's mind, and it's what he pray, prays for. So, so whether it is or not on our minds, it, unity really is important to our lives in Christ. So today we're wrapping up this high priestly prayer. We're looking at John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they, all, that they also, with whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me for the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that has come to us. Jesus, you continue to make the Father known even now as we gather and study this beautiful prayer. We do pray that, Holy Spirit, you would enliven our minds and hearts to desire what Jesus desires, um, that you would work this truth into us, that we would be a people of great unity. For your glory, we pray. Amen. A Twitter user by the, goes by the name of Tez uh, shared on his Twitter feed this week a, a photo, an image from his backyard that was in the wee hours uh, this past Monday. He wrote, uh, my porch light kept coming on and I was wondering why. I go to the door to see what's up thinking it could be a, a deer and I see this. <laughs> he's, he's, he posted this photo of uh, three unlikely animals hanging out together sharing a meal, a raccoon, an opossum, and a skunk, all within a foot of each other, getting along in perfect unity. Isn't that the cutest thing you've ever seen? Maybe the cutest thing this week. But along with the photo, Tez then added uh, this comment. He said, 
Why are they even together? I have so many questions. There they were, three competing species of scavengers, a raccoon and a possum and a skunk, all dwelling together in unity. Why are they even together? Well, may I suggest that it is food that unites them, a nice big meal for them to share. My friends, unity, it's what every organization in the world strives for, or at least should strive for. Football teams stress unity. Uh, Corporate leaders stress unity. Parents stress unity in the home. But then Thanksgiving happens, and like clockwork, Aunt Edna or Cousin Vinny show up, and everyone is brought back into that never-to-be-settled dispute that seems to surface every year. And unity in the church is really hard, too. One reason is we really just don't share a whole lot of things in common. The church is not Great Poupon. It's Heinz 57 varieties. We're not all raccoons and possums, if you catch my drift. And the second reason unity in the church is hard is that, that sin still has a grip on us. That we, we all have our, our issues. We, we, we harbor bitterness for past wrongs. We, we misread others' intentions. We, we lack patience for one another. We'd rather leave that big plank in our own eye and poke at the speck in our brother's eye. And so it is hard to have unity. It is so hard that many Christians give up and stop connecting with the local church. They become what we call Lone Ranger Christians. Sadly, Lone Ranger Christians are missing out on Christ because the church, as messed up as she is, is the body of Christ. You cannot experience the fullness of Christ in your life unless you are united to his body in a local church. I'm sorry, it's just... You just can't. And so Jesus knows all this. He knows our tendencies. He knows our sinfulness. He knows our frailties. And so he prays with great love and great zeal for unity, glorious unity. And so what we'll look at this morning is this, is that it is Jesus's will that, that we, the church, would be unified. We're going to look at that in four areas. First, we will look at the pattern, then the purpose, then the pursuit And lastly, the provision. First, uh, the pattern. My mother was a home economics major in college, and after that she actually taught home ec for a while. And um, this was good in some ways. I mean, we had some really good home cooking, uh, but it wasn't so good with regards to my wardrobe. See, my mom wouldn't just make her own clothes. She would make matching outfits for my brother and I to wear. We even have pictures to prove it. Now, she wouldn't make these outfits from scratch, right? She had, there was like these pattern companies like McCall's. I don't even know if they still exist, but anyway, you could go buy a pattern and take it home. And, and what she would do is she would take the pattern and she would cut the material just, just right to the pattern and the pieces would come together unified into one beautiful garment. Um, so thankfully, my mom no longer uh, makes my clothes, um, but she, she does help us with this sense of what a pattern can do for us. See, patterns aren't key just for giant collared checkered shirts that my mom would make, um, but also it's, it's what Jesus is praying for in our, in our passage for unity. The pattern for unity, he shows us, is found not on earth, but it is in heaven itself. Look at the heavenly pattern for unity in verse 21 and then in verse 22 and 3. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. In verse 22, 
that they may even that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. This is remarkable. Jesus is saying that that somehow through the work of God, through through the gospel, that we are brought into oneness, splendid unity with the, the Trinity itself. And I know the Trinity is somewhat confounding. God is simultaneously one God and yet three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we see is diversity in unity. I know some people are skeptical. They say, how can God be triune? I can't wrap my head around it, so I'm not going to believe it's true. But my friends, let us not be so prideful to think that if there is a God, that our pea-sized brains would be able to fully comprehend him. You know, I, I, I myself, I don't want a God that I can fully wrap my head around. How about you? You know, Scripture teaches that for all eternity, God has existed as a happy community, a tri-unity, a trinity. And when God created human beings in his image, he created two. Adam and Eve were a unity of diversity. God created human beings in his image so that we would multiply in number and diversity and fill the earth. But all the while, we would be in unity with our God in heaven and his loving rule over us. Obviously, the fall occurred, and that is no longer the case. We human beings are no longer unified with God, nor are we united with each other. And Jesus came to remedy all that. But the pattern for our restoration, I hope you see, it hasn't changed (laughs) The pattern is the joyful, holy, happy unity of the Trinity. We, we see this pattern for unity in verse 23 that states, even as we are one, that they may become perfectly one. As we are one, Father, and you and I, that they may be perfectly one. Please listen, understand that this is God's plan for us. Perfect unity and nothing short of it. Obviously, that will not come about on this broken world that we currently live in. But someday, this perfection of heaven will come to earth, and we will experience it, and our souls will be immensely pleased. And so take a moment to think it through. What Jesus prayed for isn't just a possibility. One day, all who belong to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, will enter into perfect oneness of joy and delight and of the happy and blessed trinity itself. That, that, that perfect unity isn't just the pattern, it is our promise. And so since this is who God is making us to be one day, let us today strive for this in our lives. So that's the pattern now for the purpose. What is Jesus' end goal for our unity? Is it so that we can look around at each other and go, woohoo, look how united we are. Boy, we love each other so much. This is great, isn't it? No, our unity has a purpose other than that. What is it? Look at the end of verse 21 and 23. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them. The words, so that form what is called a purpose clause. Uh, Why is Jesus praying for our unity? Because 
When churches are fighting over carpet color or youth ministry budgets or different end time views, it negatively impacts the spread of the gospel. But when Christians are united in love, the gospel message spreads to more and more people. Like Tez in his tweet had observed the the unlikely companionship of a raccoon and a possum and a skunk, and he asked, why are they even together? So too, the unbelieving world looks, looks um, at, at us, looks at them, and then they say, why, why are they together? And yet there's something glorious about how they live in love and, and unity. And so as we then pursue these people who see how unified we are, the gospel then finds fertile soil. My friends, those who follow Christ are on mission, and not alone, but together. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Listen, understand this. I know of no Lone Ranger Christian who is effective at evangelism. Not a one. How about you? They may even attend church, but they're not connected. They aren't unified with the local body and on mission with the body. See, Jesus knows that without unity in community, the gospel will not advance. God did not save us for solitude. He saved us into his community, the body of Christ, the church. And he calls us to be one. Christian, that is what Jesus is praying for, that we would be of one mind with with regards to, to who we are, that we would be of one mind with regards to, listen, to offering grace, upon grace to each other, which is what we need, that we be of one heart in t- with regards to our unbelieving neighbors and trying to reach them, our unbelieving neighbors who will spend all of eternity alone, separated from God, if we do not reach them soon. So let us all be challenged this morning. God's ultimate purpose in saving us isn't just the forgiveness of our sins, as wonderful and glorious as that is. God saved us so that we can be one with God and one with each other in a spiritual unity that only the Holy Spirit can work in us. And the purpose of our unity is, that so, is so that God can use us together to spread the love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ to a hurting world that is under the spell of the enemy. So, the pattern for unity is the Godhead itself. The purpose of our unity is is missions, and now for the pursuit. In verses 24 and 25, we see God's passionate pursuit of us so that we may experience unity. We're going to take four minutes, maybe less, to try to wrap our heads around something so gloriously spectacular that if we had 10 years to meditate upon it, it would not suffice, but it certainly would change us. In verse 24, Jesus speaks as if the cross and his resurrection are already a done deal. Much of his prayer has been like that. And what he says is amazing. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. He thinks, you know, he's thinking of in heaven and glory. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me for the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying that those he came to save, including us, would come to join with him in heavenly glory. I desire, 
says Jesus. What wonderful words. Jesus desires that we would be brought into the glorious, delightful unity that the Trinity experiences for all eternity from before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants us in that. That's his desire. I like how Matthew Henry describes this. Listen, he says, Christ speaks here as if he did not count his own happiness complete unless he had his elect to share with him in it. With me are the words Jesus uses. I desire that they also may be with me where I am. Do you recognize this as Jesus' pursuit of us? And it's not just Jesus, it's the Father too. In verse 25, he says, We know that these know that you have sent me. The entire Trinity will not be satisfied until we are with them in glory. Why is this? Because the way things are right now stinks, right? And Jesus knows this. And you know, we're so bad at unity, aren't we? So bad that the offer of unity with God himself doesn't sound all that appealing, right? Let's be honest. Just give me a cuddly cat and a pint of haagen and unlimited streaming options, and, and, and we consider our lives pretty full. We're more excited about going off to school or getting married or building an enviable life, however we define that, than we are in being with Jesus. But thankfully, try to ponder this truth. This is a big point for you to get. Thankfully, our being with Jesus someday in glorious splendor does not depend on our desire, how weak it is. No, our being with Jesus in glory for all eternity is his desire for us. And because it is his desire, it rests not upon our will, but his. And what does that mean? It means it will happen. Add to that, and listen, Jesus, Jesus died so that this may happen. The, the Trinity cannot embrace us in our sinful state, but God, in amazing love, sent his Son to take the penalty we deserve, to give us his righteousness, which we do not deserve. Jesus died that we may be one with God and one with God's people. And it was a very costly pursuit. And so, Christian, delight in this. God has pursued you in Christ to embrace you into his glorious unity. Take 10 years to ponder that truth. You've been embraced by the Trinity and welcomed into their fellowship. And and understand this, this embrace... Um, into the fellowship, this welcome, it, it has already started for us, but it will not be perfected until Christ returns or calls us home. But it has already begun. And so try to, try to follow this argument. If perfect unity in the glorious presence of the Trinity is our destiny, that's where God is taking us, then why not let us as the body of Christ strive for this future grace now? If unified is where we will one day be, then let us embrace our Lord's prayer here and seek to become perfectly one. Which begs the question, just how? How do we grow in unity? This leads to our final point, 
the provision. Many of you know I'm a cyclist, like one of those guys who rides around on road bikes out on the road wearing those funny-looking, silly outfits, you know, you probably laugh at. Uh, Well, this past week I received a marketing email from a kind of a high-end cycling apparel company trying to get me to buy new clothes. Um, But they had this special jersey on sale, a limited edition jersey. It's called the Unity jersey, and it's actually, it was quite spectacular. Whoever designed it did a really good job. All these various colors of the rainbow coming together, just quite nice. I kind of liked it until I saw the $170 price tag. Um, But it got me thinking. Yes, you know, I know it's good for us to show the world that we desire unity, that we support it, right? But let me ask you, does just simply putting on a unity shirt or jersey, does that create unity? It doesn't. In fact, if I were to wear that really gaudy, bright-colored unity jersey, I think the opposite of unity would take place. See, it wouldn't take very long before some guy or woman, usually it's a guy, um, driving by would yell at me in anger. Trust me, it happens far too often. Like People in cars throw stuff at me and yell at me as I'm just riding my bike down the road. Anyway, I know who you are. I know where you live. Um, The point is, wearing a shirt will not suffice. In fact, Check this out. For this world to finally, fully um, be unified, it's, it's going to take more than, than a T-shirt. It's going to take more than strict laws that we all agree to. It's going to take more than better parenting. It will take the work of God himself. God must provide the way forward into unity, and thankfully, he does. In the last two verses, we see four provisions. We go, we'll go through them quickly. Four provisions of God, the Trinity, for our growing in unity. The first is this. The first is that there's great hope for us. Why is that? Because we have the gospel. In verse 25, Jesus says, and these know that you sent me. This is gospel lingo. To, to receive the gospel is to know that the Father has sent the Son, right? And, and know this, the gospel has power. We saying earlier, Jesus, your name is power. The gospel has made us new creatures. We might not feel like that every day, but it's true. And remember our motto, Grace Church, it's alive in Christ. By the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we are alive to the Trinity, and in the Trinity, there is power in the gospel. This is one of the provisions that God gives us. Second, Jesus says in verse 26, that he will continue to make the name of God known to us. We've seen this earlier in the prayer, so we won't go deep into it, but the name of God simply refers to who God is, what he's like, what his will is, um, what he's going to do, those kind of things. And in verse 26, Jesus says, I made known to them your name, all of those things, and I will continue to make it known. Understand this, Jesus is currently in glory in heaven, and he has an ongoing work. And in that ongoing work, uh, Jesus continues to make the Father, his name, his glory, his goodness, his saving power known, known to us. The day you became a Christian was a great day. And um, my hope is, like, since that day, unless it was yesterday, that since that day, um, you've matured somewhat as a Christian. And, And the reason for this is because the Father has become more and more known to you through the written word, by the power of the Spirit, as we study his word and treasure it and put it into practice. You know, this fall, we're, we're kicking off 
our brand new discipleship groups called grace groups. We've trained 14 discipleship leaders and they're chomping at the bit to to get groups together and we will have a group that you will be able to join to be a part of every every week um you and your small group getting to know each other and challenge each other and encourage each other and why why is this because we need discipleship if we are going to grow in connectedness and in unity there's more information to come but i just want you to be thinking and, and planning to be a part of, uh, of a grace group. The third aspect of Christ's provision is that he, listen, he fills us with divine love. Verse 26, I will continue to make your name known. What's the purpose? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Jesus' point is simple but profound. He's saying the very love that God the Father for all eternity has loved his perfect, precious, priceless son. That very same love is the love we experience that that we get to know from our Heavenly Father. And, And ponder this, my friends. We cannot be a unified people of God without the divine love of God operating in us. And Jesus is saying that the very love with which the Father has loved the Son for all eternity, this very same love may be in us. Now, the Greek word here for love is agape. There's uh, three other words in Greek that we translate with the word love, but agape is a special kind of love. Agape is the divine love that Peter experienced from Jesus after Peter denied Jesus three times. And agape is the, is the, is the love that Peter wrote of in First Peter when he says love covers a multitude of sins. God loves us unconditionally, listen, with a lavish, joyful, let me cleanse you of your sin again and come near and let me give you a big hug, agape love. And the more Jesus continues to make the Father known, like right now, he's making his Father's love known to us right now. The, The more Jesus does this, the more we delight and we rest in God's love. And the more God's love then is in us, Grace Church. You see how that works? Now, Jesus uses the word maybe in them because it isn't a guarantee. When people are more focused on their own preferences, like music styles or preaching styles, instead of meditating on the love of God, then disunity prevails. But when we delight in God's love for us, we tend to relate to others with that same love, right? Well, the fourth aspect of the provision is amazing too. Jesus says he himself resides in us. Jesus ends his prayer with these four words, and I in them. It's a mystery like the Trinity, but it is true also. Christ dwells in his people. Do you remember from our study of Colossians where we read the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, and then how does Paul describe it? The hope of glory. And do you recall Jesus' words from earlier in the night where Jesus promised to send what? To send the Holy Spirit to dwell in the people of God. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Father gives the church collectively and individually the helper, the spirit of truth. He dwells in us. My friends, God has provided all that we need to dwell in unity, has he not? We have the gospel, which gives us new life in Christ. We're new creations. And and, and we have Christ who continually makes known to us our holy, happy, joyful, loving Father. We know God because Christ continuously gets us to experience God's love in us. And, and, And fourth, Christ dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. My friends, we have all the provision that we need. A Christian, does this not enliven you? Do you not find yourselves well-loved and well-provisioned for our calling as Christ's body to go and to be ambassadors for Christ and his kingdom? This morning, my friends, we've seen that our glorious unity matters. We've been redeemed by the glorious unity of the Trinity. Our triune God patterns for us what unity is. Our unity has a purpose to spread the hope of the gospel to more and more people. The Trinity has pursued us so that this may be our glorious reality. And yes, we have all the provision we need to grow in unity. So just two things for us, I think, to do today. One is this. Let us embrace Jesus' prayer. Let us delight in it. Let us meditate upon it. Let us say, is this really true? and be at awe of what God is doing for us. And second, let, let Jesus' prayer become our prayer, that, that, that may we delight in what God has done and will do with regards to our oneness. And may we dwell together in unity, a, a unity that causes our neighbors to ask, hey, why are they even together? Let's pray. First off, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you that you are glorious um, and you are perfectly unified. You each delight in each other um, and we find our hope in you. The great promise of this passage is that we will be completely, perfectly one with our creator in the age to come and with other human beings in the age to come. Holy Spirit, press this into our lives today. May we honor you um, as we pursue this in the power of your grace and spirit, we pray. Amen.